Adrian Broadus, along with Jason Craig, who dropped in earlier than normal. Steve Kaplowitz with you on the Georgia Domination Edition of Sports Talk. I just want to get this out of the way because he deserves his due, but Gator Richard was exactly right. All right, uh, Gator Richard does not need to, uh, you know, tap himself on the back, but he deserves props because he said it was going to be a total whooping, and he was 100% correct. Although, I think this game got out of hand so badly, never even in his wildest imagination did he expect it to be as bad as it was. Adrian, I actually watched the entire second half because I kept saying to myself, TCU has to start playing offense. Like, I refused, even though I knew the game was over. I just wanted to see TCU get in the end zone a couple times and 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 just have some drives that, that resulted in points. I mean, this was as bad a national championship game as ever before. And what this does is it now, once again, has people saying SEC can't compete, you know, Big Ten, Big 12 can't compete with the SEC. Nobody can compete with the SEC. Alabama should have been in the national championship game or at least in the playoffs. It's just it's just the rhetoric because this game was never close. Oh, I take that back. When TCU scored to make a 10-7, you're like, okay, they'll bear down on defense a little bit and start scoring. And that never happened after that. It was like once uh, Georgia got back in the end zone to make it 17-7, the uh, TCU was done. That was it. And this was, uh, once again, it was tough because I thought TCU was going to come out ready to play. I thought TCU had a legitimate shot to win the football game. I was not ready to buy the hype about Georgia and, and Stetson Bennett and, and, and everybody. I kept thinking to myself, no, no, no. TCU is going to show that they belong. And I was completely wrong about that. And, and I feel bad for TCU fans because they all thought this was going to be a competitive football game, which turned into a laugher fast. You know, Steve, since the college football playoffs inception back in 2014, uh, only three non-SEC teams and programs have won uh, the college football playoff national championship. And those those two schools right there are just uh, Ohio State and uh, Clemson, who've done it um, you know, th- on three different occasions through yep. this college football playoff stretch. That just shows us uh, almost a near-decade dominance of the SEC in the college football playoff. And yeah, there's a lot of bias. And yeah, there's a lot of rhetoric out there. But when it comes to breeding the best uh, talent uh, across the board for football, the SEC consistently does a great job year after year of putting the best talent out there. And uh, one other thing I'll say is next year we'll we'll see a 12-team college football playoff. I could see another lopsided score in the future. I can see another TCU or an upset underdog story going all the way to the national championship, and I could see an SEC team again downing that upset team uh, in in a big game like this. Or we could see an SEC versus SEC championship game. That's also very possible. Because when you expand the playoffs to 12, we could see four of those 12 teams in from the SEC. It's possible. 
Yeah, it's definitely right. I mean, hey, you were talking about the cream of the crop right now. Georgia, Alabama, LSU uh, consistently get uh, top-notch talent year after year. So, you know, for the other part of, of college football, it's all up to them to try to rise up to the occasion that the SEC is uh, holding everybody to, the high standard of where college football should be right now. And, you know, it's up to everybody else out there to try to recruit and, and beat the SEC right now. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. And that's the way I guess it should be, right? Have a, a conference so good and have everybody playing for them. Let's say the uh, this year they did the 12 teams, right? You get um, – here would be the following 12. Um, and, and I guess there would be a, a group of five school, the best group of five school, right? Adrian would have a chance right, to be Right, you would get 12, the at-large bid. That's right. Which would be Tulane. Tulane this year would have taken the at-large. So then after Tulane, you would have had Penn State, Big Ten, USC – Pac-12, Kansas State, Big 12, Utah, Pac-12, Clemson, ACC, Tennessee, SEC, Alabama, SEC, Ohio State, Big 12, TCU, Big 12, I'm sorry, Ohio State, Big 10, TCU, Big 12, Michigan, Big 10, Georgia, SEC. So we would have had more Big 10 schools than any of the conferences, including the SEC, even though we know the cream really did rise to the top, as it always does. I also think that in a 12-team uh, year, uh, voters might you know, skew the vote to add more SEC teams. So while uh, a team like Penn State finished 7th in the country at 11-2 and two overall, maybe you know in a, in a normal year, quote-unquote, in a 12-team expanded format, uh, LSU, who finished the year, I think it was like 10-3 and three or something along those lines, maybe they would slide up and go higher than a team like Penn State. I'm, I'm just giving out an example right there uh, but I'm just saying that maybe when it comes to an expanded playoff the voters will vote more SEC teams regardless of the record I think that could be the case we'll find out next year right yeah this is the last year of a 14 playoffs I mean uh, it's kind of interesting to see the tide turn and now us look to expand the playoff for college football and let's see if we get any kind of changes right now yep Adrian at enemy win the number three tweets the show Steve Georgia was clearly the best team this year, but anyone that thinks Alabama should have gotten in with two losses is delusional. That comes from Adrian at Enemy Win, the number three. Speaking of delusional, let's get into Conference USA for a minute. They released their football schedule this year for all schools. And once again, you know, ever since I heard New Mexico State was going to Conference USA starting this summer. The first thing I've been saying since that since that announcement was made is that UTEP and New Mexico State should play an annual football game the last week of the season. That's where it should go. It should always go Thanksgiving week. In my mind, that's, you know, you have some of the best games to end the season. I would love to see UTEP, New Mexico State, no matter what, every year to wrap up the season. But no, Conference USA thinks differently. Not only did they ignore that request, but somehow the geniuses that made up the league schedule for 2023 put these two schools together in the middle of October on a Wednesday night which has to be, without a doubt, the most brainless 
schedule-making decision you could come up with no matter how hard you tried. No matter how hard you tried. Now, they're going to probably argue, hey, we're doing it for national TV on Wednesday nights. That's our goal. We want to showcase CUSA on Wednesday nights. Fine. So be it. Not this game. Don't do it to this game. First off, I can't believe UTEP got the home game next year because this past year was at the Sun Bowl, so that's the first surprise. I thought they would have played the first game in Cruces. They didn't. They played it in El Paso. Or they're going to play it in El Paso. But you're telling me on a Wednesday night in October, you're going to expect people in Cruces to get off work, drive uh, the you know, 30, 45 minutes to El Paso, and get there hopefully in time for kickoff in a midweek clash for these two teams. I mean, Adrian, when I saw that, the first thing I said is, that is the most CUSA thing that they could have done with next year's football schedule. And one of the things that I want to point out, because I had people in my mentions say, wow, why did UTEP do this? Why It wasn't UTEP. No. That, that's a huge thing. about UTEP could control only one thing, and that's their non-conference schedule, which, by the way, uh, September is a gauntlet for the Miners. It's a tough schedule in September, which UTEP did control. UTEP could not control where Conference USA placed them. They could not control the TV rights deal that CUSA agreed to, which everybody was given a pass to earlier this fall and said, hey, if you're going to have weeknight games, on ESPN. That's all right. It'll give a lot of exposure. And sure, you know, for parents out of town, for people out of town who are going to watch these games, that's great. But you're telling me that people are turning on TV sets Wednesday night to watch Conference USA football? You got to be kidding me. UTEP plays Florida International a week before they play in the Battle of I-10 on a Wednesday. Can you imagine being a student athlete waking up Thursday, having to go to school after flying in from Miami late on Wednesday? No. I can't. It's ridiculous. Now, uh, that's another thing, okay? We already know how difficult Wednesday football is going to be in October. You would have thought they could have at least taken the schools that were closest in, in, in travel and put that together. No. Let's take UTEP, fly them to Miami, and play on a Wednesday, and then the following week host New Mexico State. Um, once again, folks, you can't make this stuff up, okay? Uh, it is possible that because New Mexico State are now the new uh, media darlings of college football with Jerry Kill after winning the bowl game and being in the midst of this, that that game will be nationally televised. All the more reason why, again, it's a problem. First off, people in this town have a hard enough time going to a Wednesday home game to begin with. If you put that on national TV, now you're really hurting uh, potential attendance uh, for this game. So, you know, I I just figured November 26th or that, that last Saturday on Thanksgiving week, even if you want to make it on a Friday, even if you want to make this game the day after Thanksgiving, because we've got college football the day after Thanksgiving, I'd be fine with that. But to put this game seven weeks into the season on a Wednesday night, that is the absolute most mindless decision you could come up with, which is par for the course if you're Conference USA. I've never heard of anything like this uh, ever in my life, Steve. And I agree with you. If they would have did it like Thanksgiving weekend, the last game, why not? The Battle of I-10, it's a Thanksgiving thing. Everybody comes into this area for that weekend. It's like you're. It's a sellout. It's a sellout no matter where it's at. If it's at in New Mexico State, it's going to sell out. If it's going to be at the Bowl, it's going to sell out because everybody's here. 
you know? But the Wednesday, like, I'm looking at myself. What am I, why am I going to be there on a Wednesday? It's a Wednesday, Steve. First off, let's, let's also be honest. If UTEP is not playing well or New Mexico State is not playing well, then nobody's going to go watch this game no matter what the situation is, right? Rivalry, no rivalry. We've seen that already. They'll get their 15,000, 20,000, and that'd be it. But if this game means something for both of these two teams the last week of the season, you're absolutely right. You'll get 30,000, 40,000 fans to watch this game if there's something on the line. 100%. I mean, UTEP is finishing their season at home against Liberty. That is a really tough game. And New Mexico State is finishing it up home against Jacksonville State. What a waste uh, that game is for New Mexico State. So, yeah, uh, Adrian, I'm having a hard time with this one. I just can't uh, I can't wrap my head around it. You know, another thing to mention with uh, Conference USA releasing the full schedule today is we've got a lot of new names across Conference USA that should have been a day to get excited about. Hey, it's the first time UTEP's playing Jacksonville State in their entire history. It's uh, a time where UTEP's getting a chance to take on Liberty, a, a top-notch uh, college football program who is going to join Conference USA. Uh, but you look at this schedule right here, the non-conference slate is tough. The New Mexico State game on a Wednesday evening in October is tough. The home game schedule is not very favorable which yep. also includes another Friday game and you're talking about two games in uh, November, home games, Western Kentucky Liberty. Those are gone. Those are really tough games right there. I don't know how they're going to draw as far, as far as attendance knowing all these factors. I'll say this. The Conference USA deserves, uh, they, they deserve kudos on one thing. They got this done a month earlier than last year. Last year, UTEP released their football schedule on February 15th. This time, it's January 10th. I didn't expect it. This one caught me off guard, and it also means I have five earlier weeks to get aggravated with the, the conference and the way they put this thing together. Well, it's it's because we haven't looked at it with a fine-tooth comb like we did last year when they yep. tried to slide in Southern Miss, That's true. tried to slide in That's Marshall, Old, Old Dominion, and all those teams that already tried to bolt for the Sun Belt by that oh. point. All right, 16 passed. Good show today. When we come back... Tony Khan is going to join us. Yes, that Tony Khan, the CEO of All Elite Wrestling, AEW, who will be in El Paso February the 8th. So Tony Khan coming up with us right after Charlie One, who has this traffic update. Welcome back, everybody, as we continue here on Sports Talk. Well, I know wrestling fans uh, in the uh, Sun City are very excited. In fact, uh, it's uh, just about a month away when AEW will make its debut at the barn, the El Paso County Coliseum. It is going to be an amazing night of wrestling. And with us right now is the CEO and uh, general manager, head of creative, Tony Khan. He joins us uh, here on Sports Talk. Tony, welcome aboard. Great to have you, and uh, Happy New Year. Hey, Happy New Year to you, Steve. Thanks for having me on. It's great to catch up ahead of AEW Dynamite. We are on tomorrow night on TBS every Wednesday night, and I can't wait to bring Wednesday Night Dynamite to El Paso on February 8th. It's going to be a great show live on TBS and live in 150 countries around the world, so it's pretty cool. Uh, very cool. And I know a lot of El Pasoans have been waiting for All Elite Wrestling to make its uh, El Paso debut. The fact that this is part of a uh, live TV show is is even better. I think that's icing on the cake because I know how big AEW is here in, in the Sun City and, and just how many fans were, uh, were beside themselves when they heard the announcement that uh, you would be coming here on February 8th. 
Well, I know as a wrestling fan how big of a deal it is when you hear that the big TV show in wrestling is coming to your town. You know, sometimes when I was a little kid, it was disappointing when you'd go to the wrestling event and you realize the cameras aren't on, this is not a TV event. But in the, this is the real deal. On February 8th, we're bringing Wednesday Night Dynamite to El Paso. And if you want to check out what the show's like, we have a great show coming up tomorrow. It's at one of the most famous arenas in the world, and it's the exact show, the exact kind of great wrestling. It'll be different matches, but it'll be just as great and just as important. What we do on February 8th is what we do tomorrow at the Los Angeles Forum. And, you know, that's a great venue for wrestling and a great town here in L.A., but also uh, El Paso. What a great market for wrestling, and I can't wait to bring – AEW to El Paso. So check it out tomorrow night on TBS, and uh, it'll be on, uh, you know, 7 o'clock Central Time tomorrow. And I think Wednesday Night Dynamite's always a great show, but you can count on us bringing our very best to El Paso February 8th. Tony, how long has this been in the works? Has El Paso been in contact with AEW for, for years trying to, to bring your product here? Yeah, it's something we talked about, actually, before the pandemic. So it took a little bit longer for us to get there than we originally planned. But it's great now to be in El Paso because, you know, our live events, we actually ran all the events out of Jacksonville for about over a year, almost a year and a half, where the shows were focused in Florida. And now being out on the road, of course, it's great being there. We've done a lot of AEW events in Texas, but never in El Paso until February 8th, and Wednesday Night Dynamite is our signature show. It's our flagship program every Wednesday night on TBS, just like tomorrow night, and uh, we're going to bring the best we can to El Paso, and I think it's something we've wanted to do for a long time and had been in contact about, and it's great to finally get it going uh, next month. If wrestling fans have never seen your product, and let's just say for whatever reason they even haven't been into it in a while or they just haven't watched AEW, what is the best way to describe the, you know, just the product in general to, to really uh, your fan base? Well, we have the most excited, most passionate fans, just like what you're going to see live on February 8th there in El Paso. You'll see it tomorrow night at the forum. You'll see how engaged these fans are, how passionate they are about pro wrestling and AEW in particular. They're really loyal. They love the fans. They love the shows. And I have to say that uh, we have probably the best roster of wrestlers in the world right now, I believe. And, you know, to me, uh, when you watch the shows, you know, there's now competition in pro wrestling. That's what AEW's brought. And, I think the roster we've put together in just a few years, yeah, it's it's just as good or better as any wrestling company in the world. And you'll see some of the biggest names in pro wrestling, names like Chris Jericho and Sting that are famous worldwide for decades, but also a lot of the top wrestlers of today, big names like MJF, the world champion, Hangman Page, the former world champion, Darby Allin, the TNT champion, Dr. Britt Baker, the former women's world champion and the current women's world champion, Jamie Hayter, so many others, and a lot of the most recognizable voices in pro wrestling. We have the best announcers, Jim Ross on Friday Night Rampage, and and we're bringing, uh, of course, Friday Night Rampage also to El Paso, so you'll not only get to see Wednesday Night Dynamite, but we'll also shoot Friday Night Rampage there, which is a great event, 
And, uh, you know, whether it's big announcers like JR, Tony Schiavone, one of the great voices of pro wrestling, Taz, and Excalibur, the great announce team. It's a great show, and that's why, uh, you know, I'm so excited to bring it to one of the best wrestling markets, El Paso, with a great history there, the Guerrero family, one of the greatest legacies in all of pro wrestling. Of course, Vicky Guerrero has been a part of AEW, and it's great having El Paso uh, now for AEW as one of our home markets we can count on. Tony Khan is the CEO of AEW. They're going to be in town on February 8th, as you've been hearing, and he joins us here on Sports Talk. Um, in addition to being the CEO, you are the head of creative. Um, just to try to give our listeners a little idea of what that's like, when you have to write storylines and develop personalities for a lot of your uh, superstars, is it almost impossible to describe how how difficult that whole process can be? It is. It's a very challenging process, but we have the best wrestlers in the world here. We have great professionals, and everybody's fighting for the top spot. And I'm just trying to put the best matches out there to determine uh, who the best wrestler is. And, you know, sometimes being the best wrestler, it, it can involve uh, being the best on TV and being the, be- the smartest wrestler and uh, outthinking your opponent. And uh, I think what you're going to see when we bring the show to El Paso, if you check it out tomorrow night, uh, you know, just like we're going to bring – our best event to Los Angeles tomorrow night, we're going to bring that same quality of TV show to El Paso. And like I said, uh, a lot of times when people go to these events, they want to see the very best. They want to see the weekly TV show, not, uh, you know, a a house show where there aren't going to be big matches, big championship matches where there's no potential for title changes or big developments. I think this is the opposite. This is where all that is on the table. You know, El Paso, I think, is with a great history. You know, it makes sense why we'd want to bring Wednesday Night Dynamite there to such a great wrestling market because it's the biggest event we have. Tony, people have told me off and on over the years that AEW is a throwback. They always ask, you know, they say it reminds them of growing up in the 80s and watching wrestling when it started to explode and really take over the country with mainstream, uh, you know, stars. <laughs> is, is that a pretty accurate description in your opinion? I do think it's really a very accurate description, and I really appreciate you saying that. Thank you very much, Steve. Uh, it's really what we're going for. I think we want to have that uh, throwback feel. We want to have uh, that kind of uh, classic pro wrestling feel, and that's why we have some of those voices that have been the voices of wrestling for decades and a lot of the biggest names in pro wrestling. You know, uh, when there's a legend like Sting, we treat him with the ultimate respect, but also Sting steps in the ring, and Sting can still go with the very best wrestlers of today, like he's proven. Uh, so, you know, we, I think it's really the best of today and the best of the wrestling I grew up on personally, and I think a lot of the fans listening grew up on. So, it, you know, it's a great thing we have going on TBS every Wednesday, like tomorrow and every uh, Friday on TNT. Final question, then we'll let you run, Tony. Um, when you talk about 2023 and really what's in store for AEW this year, what would you like to see most uh, as far as uh, just your promotion and, and some of the things you want to uh, achieve in and out of the ring? 
Well, Steve, I think there's a great opportunity for AEW to keep the strong business we have flowing. It's really important to keep the fans tuned in like every Wednesday, like tomorrow night and every Friday on TNT, and that means putting great matches on. And so between now and February 8th, when we come to El Paso, there's going to be a lot of big matches, a lot of big things happening, a lot of big title fights and big announcements in AEW between now and then. And you'll get a a good feel for what's coming to El Paso and what you can expect when we're in town on February 8th. Uh, I think it's going to be a big year for AEW. I really expect uh, the wrestling business. There's so much uh, happening, and AEW is in the mix, in the conversation, one of the biggest wrestling companies in the world. It's going to be awesome. Dynamite coming up on TBS. That will be uh, live as well as AEW Rampage, uh, which airs a Friday on TNT. All happening here in El Paso with the Coliseum February 8th. All right, Tony, terrific stuff. Appreciate the time, and uh, thanks for joining us uh, here on the show today. Thank you. I really appreciate uh, you having me on. Thank you, Steve, and I can't wait to see you in El Paso February 8th. It's going to be a lot of fun. From Tony Khan over to Adrian Broaddus standing by. He's got our bottom of the hour Sports Center update. Thank you very much. Appreciate Tony Khan taking time out, joining us here on the show today. Uh, that is going to be a very, very big deal for this city. It is also, uh, you know, that that night of wrestling will be our first um, on Radio Row at the Super Bowl in uh, in Phoenix. So we'll be making the trip up probably on Tuesday. Hopefully we'll get some some coverage for the show on Tuesday, AJ. Maybe we'll have uh, maybe Lane can pinch hit with Zay. Who knows I what's like going to happen? Yeah, that's a good idea, and it's a uh, Super Bowl week, so they have a lot to talk about that week. Uh, so yeah, that's a good uh, that's a good idea, Steve. As far as uh, you know, throwing some names out there. I think we can get uh, I think we can get you know Zay and Lane to take a, a half think? hour off school. What do you think, Zay? That sounds perfect. I'm down. Right. <laughs> he no. likes the excuse of getting out of school. I think. I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. So you know, have to be here probably about, I don't know, three thirty. Think they can? Uh, you think you can get out a little early? Maybe we could call somebody uh, out of Chapin for this. What do you think, Zay? Yeah, just just call tell them you're my mom. There you go. That's that's good. I like that. Maybe we'll put Georgina uh, on our, uh, our our director of sales, and she could pretend to be your mom. What do you think? You like that idea? This is like uh, this is like something like right out of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> it sounds good. It's a perfect plan. All right, I'll work on it. You think your dad will be okay with that? Of course. I think so too. Um, listen to this. This is uh, this comes from Jaime Moya at jmoya23. Britt Baker puts on a show. Can't wait during the uh, conversation we had with with Tony Khan. So appreciate that. Thank you for getting in on that. Uh, yeah, Britt Baker. I've listen. She does, and Britt Baker is a throwback. She likes to bleed in matches. So there are times you watch her, and she is just covered. Uh, in her own blood. This is a throwback to the '80s. This is, uh, this is. By the way, I mean they they cut themselves just like they used to back in the day. This is not, you know, wrestling with capsules or ketchup. Oh, no, no, they uh, they they do a pretty good job there. They really do. So it's gonna be a lot of fun. Live show. Sting gonna be in town. Uh, Chris Jericho. Um, you know, MJF, this should be a lot of fun. Yeah, and especially it's uh, televised across the board. That's huge for AEW and the yep. city of El Paso. And having a house show here in El Paso, a live show here in El Paso, it's huge. By the way, there are rumors. Listen to this. There are rumors 
that Stephanie McMahon resigned today at WWE. I don't know if you've been following that, but last week her father put himself back to the board of directors. After the whole scandal? Yep. Oh, wow. Like the really bad scandal that yep. happened? Yep. Oh, my. And he just and he just anointed himself back to uh, being uh, chairman of the board. Wow. That's, uh, that's an interesting board right there. So WWE hasn't confirmed this yet, but if Stephanie resigned, uh, they've got some internal uh, issues in the McMahon house. That's for sure. Where's so. Triple H in all this? Well, he's married to her. Yeah, I was going to say. So what's going on here? I don't know. Oh, doesn't man. sound. This is a disaster. Doesn't, doesn't sound good. Does not sound good. Nothing's confirmed, by the way. Nothing's confirmed. Um, Rod Munch at MunchRod69, <laughs> one of the greatest Twitter handles ever. I just hope that Rod Munch was born in, in 1969. Uh, he tweets the show, Six, uh, CUSA also screwed NMSU for making them play in El Paso two years in a row. Now they play at New Mexico and at UTEP next year. Yeah, uh, listen, I really don't think that CUSA cared um, what New Mexico State did prior to coming into Conference USA. I really don't. Rod, sorry, but I'm not expecting them to look over Mario Mocha's history and decide, oh, wait, you've alternated every year? Okay, we'll put you in Las Cruces. They do what they want to do. That's going to be it. CUSA, by the way, they don't always they don't, you don't always play one year at home, one year on the road. Sometimes you'll play two years in one venue, so it's going to be interesting to see if they do that with this series or they, they alternate it. Yeah, I'd be curious to see how they handle that as well. Now, uh, as far as Conference USA goes and the weird scheduling for NMSU, uh, I, I felt like d- beside that uh, fact that they're here in El Paso for back-to-back years, they also had some other really uh, questionable scheduling uh, methods throughout their own schedule. So, uh, yeah, I feel you know I feel for schools. Also, Sam Houston State, welcome to Conference USA. By the way, they got four weeknight games oh. in the month of October. UTEP has three Wednesday night games, and they also have a Friday night game so for the city of El Paso which supports high school football really well uh, I would take that as also a weeknight, weeknight game as far as uh, being tough to draw attendance numbers. Yeah but I think the Friday night game is after the the playoffs are over for high school football I think it's a late November game isn't no, it? Or no? no it's a September. Friday September 29th oh home my, against La Tech Oh my god. Yeah. That is that yeah, is, it's, a, it's like right in the middle of like district play or like when district wraps up in high school football. You know, I checked the uh, CUSA schedule today on their release. I don't know if you know this, Adrian, but they're playing Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Wow. <laughs> so believe it or not, the UTEP New Mexico State game, there's only two Wednesday night games that week. And the other one is FIU at Sam Houston. You know, I, I feel like a so, lot of us can take football Steve, but that's like way too much football right there, where you're asking people to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Uh, Saturdays are for college football. I'm sorry. I, I'm the traditionalist here when it comes to I'm, – I'm good with an occasional Friday night game, but Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday does not, does not sit right for me. Me neither, and uh, that's what they're going to do. By the way, uh, based on the, the calendar that week, it's very possible that that Wednesday UTEP game is going to be nationally televised someplace, either CBS College Sports or ESPN, whatever. ESPN U, ESPN 2, 
ESPN, the Ocho. It's going to be somewhere on one of those two networks. If it's not accessible out there for people to watch, then I'm going to be even more disappointed because the only pass I'm giving Conference USA here for the month of October for putting these midweek games out there is so they can be nationally televised and so people can watch it, not so uh, you know people can just look at it as wallpaper and say, well, I'll watch Major League Baseball instead or I'll watch the NBA instead of watching Conference USA Tuesday night football. We um, do have... Track talk coming up here in 20 minutes. Christopher Carrillo just said, how about talk about New Mexico State baseball? Did they also released their schedule today? Uh, I'm not sure. That's a good question. <laughs> maybe maybe they did after that great run last year. It's possible. It is possible. I have to look and see if that's what they did. They might have uh, put their you know baseball schedule out. I didn't even know about that. But, you know, baseball, baseball went to the NCAAs, nearly won. Football won their bowl game. Uh, yeah, things are going right in Crucis right now. And I can't get a hold of Mocha these days. Maybe wow. maybe Mocha is taking a break because I've been trying to get a hold of him for like the last week. No response. I wonder if maybe Victor wore him out. Mm. Uh, he he is uh, actually Victor has made us on the blacklist because of uh, I agree Mario Mocha. Now I'll look. I looked at uh, New Mexico State baseball's Twitter. I did see uh, news about how they are playing at uh, Constellation Field, uh, a college baseball series out there in Houston. So they're they're going to be uh, taking part in that. But uh, I'm not sure other news other than that. I know it. Well, we'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting. All right, uh, good start to the show. You want to weigh in? 18 in front of five. Our number is 505-6009. You can tweet the show, 600 ESPN El Paso, with you till 6. John Teicher will join us in our 5 o'clock hour. So will Eric Alwyn and Track Talk. All that's still to come here on 600 ESPN El Paso. All right, 10 in front of 5 as we continue here on Sports Talk. We got a caller on the line who wants to weigh in on the CUSA college football schedule for 2023. He's Manny, and he joins us next on the show. How you doing, Manny? Hey, hey, Steve. How are you doing? Happy New Year, brother. Happy New Year, Manny. Hey, but you know, I just want to touch on this one because I was looking at the schedule already. I was like, okay, they really set schedule. Man, I know I've been wanting to weigh in about you to football. Disappointed what happened in San Antonio. Yep. I understand why they didn't get rid of Dimmel, money, extension, all that. Oh. Now, to me, this with exception of Arizona, Northwestern, Kentucky, Western Kentucky, and Middle State, I think it's a favorable schedule. But, man, it looks like with this conference realignment, you tip being left behind. If they have another down year this year, honestly, I know this is an unpopular opinion. I, maybe, maybe not. Drop the program, man. Nah, Enough's they're not enough. doing it. They're not doing it. They'll never listen. Enough. Listen, listen, here's the deal. They didn't spend all that money in luxury suites and luxury boxes to drop the program. There's no way. They 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 dumped they dumped millions into the Sun Bowl for that. So they realized that even with the low crowds, as long as they sell the good stuff, the luxury boxes, uh, they're doing okay. And if they win, if they win, then they'll do much better than that. So I promise you this, because I've said this before, and I'll say it again, Manny. No matter how dire things are around here, they will never, never drop the football program. Now, now here's a, just another, just real quick. Yeah. Now I don't know where this. I know. I, I guess. Uh, they're adding more teams to the playoff. Well, it's, I guess, increased the games to the playoff. I don't know where the Sun Bowl fits to that, like kind of like the BS and the Orange. But, okay, you did the upgrades to the stadium. Yep. I would think the Mount Star group should, I, I don't know, you know, I'm just throwing it out. I mean, I really don't know how it works, but I'm just, I'm, I'm asking questions. I'm trying to see if they can expand on the MLS. 
and move up the locals and the locomotives to play in the Sun Bowl. You know, but like I said, right now, UTEP, they're like the redheaded stepchild, man. No other conference wants them. Yep. Look what happened back in the Old West. Now Conference USA. And look at, like, Incarnate Word. These small schools, maybe, I mean, I've heard of, you know, like Liberty and Jacksonville State. Sure. Like, man, come on. To me, like I said, with besides those four games and then three straight, like you said, and, and you guys you guys mentioned it, three straight games on Wednesday? You got a home game on a Wednesday? This is a working time. Who, yep. the, who the hell is going to yep. go tailgate? After work, and then go to work the next day. Nobody, nobody. Uh, you I know, mean, well, people that don't work, people that don't work can retire. Well, you can go tailgate. The beer money. Yeah, the well, you know, I, know. I hear you. Well, you then the idea is tailgating. Yes, that's true. That is true. Good point, man. You bring up some good points. By the way, I got news for you. Jacksonville State's okay. good. Incarnate Word's good. Liberty's really good. Like these new programs coming in are no joke. They're going to all try to come right to the top of Conference USA, and so will New Mexico State with Jerry Kill. They're looking at getting to the top of the well, league in a couple years. I, I, they might be the. I think they're right now. They're better than UTEP on paper. They're better than UTEP. I was asked. Then, um, I was asked on social media. Do I think that New Mexico State has a brighter future than UTEP at the yeah, moment? Yeah. At the moment, the answer is yes. As long as Jerry Kill's there, absolutely. Uh, and then, man, uh, to me, it's going to be real disappointing. In six years or eight years, these these teams like Jacksonville, Incarnate Word, Liberty, they end up leaving comfort, and UTEP again. Like that's that's what I'm saying. That's what I want. Like what, we're going yep. backwards here, man. It's like it's, uh, it's, it's like UTEP is starring in Groundhog Day. Exactly. Yeah, I hear exactly, you. Exactly, man. And I'm just disappointed, man. I just you know I want so much for this program, but it's not happening. Yeah. It's not happening, Manny. I look forward to hearing back from you later on this year. Give me a call, but I, I do understand your frustration in a big way. I get it. I really do get it. So, appreciate it, man. Thanks for the call. Happy New Year. Thank you. Hour number one coming to a close. We've got Sports Center top of the 5 o'clock hour, and then Track Talk with Eric Alwyn, the voice of Sunland Park Racetrack and Casino. If you want to weigh in, 505-6009, our telephone number. Sports Talk continues here. 600 ESPN El Paso. It's the start of Track Talk as we continue here on Sports Talk. Welcome back, everybody. Steve Kaplowitz, joined as always by Eric Alwyn, the voice of uh, Sunland Park Racetrack and Casino after the second weekend of live racing in the books, which included the red or green stakes, the bold ego handicap, as well as the Coralito Stake uh, house stakes. A uh, lot of racing over the weekend, and, and that's going to be the staple, Eric, uh, every weekend uh, here at Sunland Park, especially for those stakes races. It really will be, Steve, kind of fast and furious throughout, and Kind of ironic that uh, H.S. Paul Walker, named after the actor that was in all those great uh, Fast and Furious uh, movies, he won the stakes race. H.S. Paul Walker did the red or green stakes, but we're going to be so busy from here on out, you know, at least a couple of stakes races a weekend. And uh, we've gotten such great response locally. So many people have been coming out. Just on opening day, we were, we were throttled with great business. The parking lot's been full, so... The word's out that we're open and uh, pretty pretty great reception. 
Let's talk about uh, H.S. Paul Walker. Uh, This was a horse that was one of the favorites um, and a horse that did exactly what he was supposed to do for uh, for Hector Aldrete and also uh, Alfredo Gomez, the trainer. It's a good team and a horse that uh, wins for the eighth time uh, in his career, uh, taking home the the winner's circle out there at the Red or Green Stakes. Those are names to remember, Steve, if you're looking to maybe make a little extra bucks here at Sunland. Names that maybe people aren't that familiar with, but are awesome. That Hector Aldredi, uh quote horse rider, I think he's already got nine wins already in the young meet. And uh, uh, this Alfredo Gomez is something else. He had the horse really ready. H.S. Paul Walker has been a horse that has been a little peculiar. He's had a long career. He's always been fast, but he's had a bad habit of either veering out to the right we're veering into the left and he's been disqualified at least a handful of times for not running straight. Well, that seems to be behind him now. And now you're just left with a very fast quarter horse that knows, knows what to do. Let's talk hey, about yep. to win, I think. Well, and again, uh, you know, this is kind of the fun right now. So if you come on Saturdays, which is a day devoted to quarters along with Fridays and then the thoroughbreds uh, Sundays and Tuesdays, you're always looking for that edge, Eric. You're always looking for maybe who uh, you can place your wagers on as far as jockeys and trainers go. And maybe we got a little preview of what this meet's going to be like uh, with with that big win from uh, H.S. Paul Walker. You know, in some ways, Steve, I think that it's a little bit easier to handicap the quarter horses. Sure, it's all about the start, and it's a short distance, but there's no strategy. There's no angling for position. I mean, either you get out or you don't. And I think about 10 to 50% more of the time, the best horse wins in a quarter horse race rather than a thoroughbred one because there's so much more involved yep. and so much more that can happen in a thoroughbred race which involves tactics, pace, uh, turning. You know, you got to turn in a thoroughbred race. Most of our quarter horses, except for the 870 races, are straight. So, you know, it's simpler in that in that regard. But you got to know the players. You got to know these trainers and what they excel at. And uh, that was certainly the case with HS Paul Walker and Alfredo Gomez, the trainer. Meanwhile, Sunday, as I mentioned, uh, thoroughbred day. And it's funny. Todd Fincher joined us on preview day and we talked to uh, Todd about really, you know, his stable and his growth and, and domination and what he's turned into. And uh, it, it's continued on Sunday along with Steve S. Mewson. These are two of the best trainers uh, you're going to find anywhere. And they both had horses winning uh, the stakes races, the Coralito stake uh, house stakes, and also the bold ego handicap. So true, Steve. And when do you get five to one on a Todd Fincher horse? Can I answer that? Never. But you could last Sunday. I don't know how through the storm went off at five to one. And Todd had another one in the race. A lot of the money was on Antonio's mark, who I've called a lot of races in my day, Steve. That horse just, I mean, it was trouble from the get-go. But I have to also underscore that through the storm broke last. And he was able to overcome some trouble and passed every horse in the race and won it. And just shows you the depth of the Todd Fincher stable and uh, his devotion and the way that he gets these New Mexico breads ready is amazing. I see him at the big time soon, Steve. I really do. You well, know, like an Oaklawn or maybe Santa Anita. I, I you know I don't quite know what Todd's plans are, but there's got to be someday we're going to see Todd 
with a horse in the Kentucky Derby, for sure. And that was actually a, a pretty competitive race, especially with Jockey Clue and Antonio's Mark right behind, uh, you know, uh, Truth Storm on their way in. It was. And again, we saw the riding talents at, at Force there. Luis Fuentes, our leading thoroughbred rider from last year. Man, he's got a great clock in his head and was able to not panic and get through the storm to come from behind and just a six furlong race, which is considered a sprint, but he was able to do it. And um, we had all the people from Cuadalito Steakhouse joining us. You know, they're our food partner now. And um, they were very happy with the way turn, things turned out. And they, I think they gave away a $500 gift certificate to the winning team wow. behind Through the Storm so that they could enjoy uh, the great food at uh, Cuadalito Steakhouse. Love that. Uh, Eric Owens, the voice of Sunland Park Racetrack. He joins us every week here on uh, our track talk as we recap the weekend and preview the week to come. Uh, let's talk about that Bold Eagle handicap. Speaking of tight finishes, man, oh man, this was another classic with uh, Ari Oakley easy, just uh, being able to eke out a win over Flying Fallon and outside the law. This one went right down to the finish. Beauty. It was a beautiful race, Steve. You know, uh, Gunrunner is the daddy of Ari Oakley. Gunrunner was the horse of the year in the United States, I think, in 2017. And Ari Oakley comes to town. She was an allowance winner. I think she had three wins under her belt. But I think Steve likes to come here to get what's called black type for his female racehorses. It, it adds the value of a future mama. And that's what Ari Oakley's probably going to be. But still got a lot of racing ahead of her. But it shows you that Kentucky and New Mexico are, I mean, they used to be vastly different levels. Maybe they still are, but the gap's closed. And here's here's Flying Fallon, you know, a New Mexico-based horse throughout her career. And she made Ari Oakley work. I mean, these two were probably five, six lengths in front of the third-place finisher. And it was a dynamic finish. I think I sent you the photo on it because it was so close. Yep. And maybe the difference, Steve, was Alfredo Juarez aboard Ari Oakley, you know, winning his fourth on the day. But it, it it goes to show you though that Steve Esmussen picked the right race coming coming from Kentucky to come here to run in the Bold Eagle handicap and he did come through. It's a great finish. His his lifelong friend, Casey Lambert, our trainer, and Casey's lovely bride, Brandy, were kind of in the uh, winner's circle to substitute as uh, the ones that received the trophy. It was really really nice. Casey and Steve grew up together, kind of here in this neck of the woods and in Rio Doso. And I think they both rode at the same time in the early eighties. Wow. It's just really a nice, a nice little nugget that uh, we produce so many racing greats have come out of this area. We have some pretty talented fillies, don't we? We do. And it's nice because they're going to be the mamas of the future. And uh, Ari Oakley was a speedy type, had, pretty much everything her, go her way. There was a hot pace in front of her and she waited. Alfredo's so smart. You know, I think Alfredo's closing in on maybe 4,000 career wins, but we're looking forward to, you know, the Phillies running. They're, gonna, they're also going to be running on the quarter side of things in the Lou Wooten City Valentini on Saturday, but that's of course for the quarter horses. There's a really another nice horse that Todd has, and it's a quarter horse, Me Moonflash. She'll be running in that race. And I think she's going to be pretty tough to beat because the race is 400 yards. Sometimes me moon flash doesn't break all that fast, but she gets 400 yards to deal with and a very handy 
10 post. So nobody can hit her from, yeah. from her right. <laughs> that, by and the way, if she yep. were to break slow, she could still maybe win. That's the featured race on Saturday, folks. That is the 400-yard Lou Wooten, Sidney Valentini uh, handicap. That's uh, entries, uh, nominations closed on Friday. And then uh, Sunday, you've got the La Senora Stakes. That's a six-furlong race for three-year-old fillies. Uh, both races, by the way, a $100,000 guaranteed purse. So much money. You know, you were at the press conference and you heard Dustin say $16 million season. That's Got to be one of the richest seasons ever. And it's only, you know, it's allotted out over the 55 race days. It's really something to have all these six-figure races. I wish there was a few more horses in that race. Todd's going to have an imprint on that one as well. He's got a horse called Doer, Not a Faker, and Crossfire Cowgirl. Alfredo's going to ride Crossfire Cowgirl while Luis Fuentes rides Doer, Not a Faker. I mean, Todd's got the got the powerhouse riders behind him. However, there is one Bart Hone horse going to be super dangerous that's hannah's high life who already has a win against winners here this season so she might have the edge and might not be favored i was going to ask you who you think the uh, the morning line favorite could be in that race well it, it might still be hannah's high life i'd like to see the buyer figures and the speed ratings and, and all of that but uh you know I, you really gotta if you go against todd fincher you know you're doing it at your own peril that kind of happened in the Corralito Stakes. So usually around these parts, if Todd's got a horse running, they're the ones that are favored. Now, it's interesting if he has two in the race, you'll have a choice in price. You know, both of them can't go favored. That's very true. Um, meanwhile, you mentioned Alfredo Juarez Jr. You know, you look at what he's doing out of the gate. Luis Fuentes, Luis Negron, terrific jockeys on the thoroughbred side. And how about uh, Noe Garcia Jr. on the quarter side? Mm, world-class, world-class quarter horse rider. He likes to ride a lot for the Danleys, and I think you're probably going to see him uh, with a lot of great mounts. We had trials the other day for the shoe fly, and I know that he qualified some there. Uh, our favorite, one of our favorite trainers, Wes Giles, qualified uh, uh, some horses as well. And there's even Flash Devine, who's going to be running in the shoe fly. And that horse was the top qualifier for the race. And the shoe fly in its 50th renewal will be happening in a couple of weeks. That's on Saturday, January the 28th. We're getting really close, Steve, already out of the bat to some really fine races. The Winsham Lad will be on the 22nd. That'll be, you know, a couple of Sundays from now. And that'll feature the older thoroughbreds. Who knows who we're going to see in that one? Probably horses like Sheriff Brown and others from the Todd Fincher stable. And it's really not too early to start thinking about the Sullen Derby because the Riley Allison Derby, the first local prep, is on the 29th of January. Wow, right around the corner. Excellent. Uh, 12.25 post time for racing on uh, Tuesdays along with uh, Fridays, Saturdays, uh, and uh, Sundays. And Hey, uh, depending on what you love, if you love quarters, then you got to come by Friday, Saturday. If you love thoroughbreds, you come by Sunday, Tuesday. If you love it all, then you just uh, come every day for live racing, Eric. Sure, and pick your spots like you do. <laughs> Always a good conversation. Thanks so much, Pre- Steve. Appreciate the time. We'll talk to you next week, Eric. Of course, sir. Thanks. He's Eric Allen, folks, as we continue here with Track Talk every single Tuesday at 5 on 600 ESPN El Paso. Let's go to Charlie One. Come back with more in a moment. Tuned in to 600 ESPN El Paso.
Appreciate Eric Allman and Track Talk as we come back 20 past here on the program. 505-6009, that's our telephone number. What a day. Between TCU falling flat on their face last night to Georgia and uh, the Bulldogs once again declaring supremacy all over the world of college football for the second straight year. Horn Frogs will just look back and wonder what if. What if they would have come out of the gate a little different? But that's not what happened. Instead, Georgia uh, clearly the best uh, team in college football, and it's not even close, Adrian. Not even close. And not to take uh, too much away from TCU, they they obviously didn't deserve the win yesterday or whatsoever, or you know even deserve to stay in that game whatsoever. But I would say they were arguably the most battle tested team going into the college football playoff national championship. Just knowing the schedule that they had all year long, the gauntlet that they went through, and uh, give all the credit in the world to Georgia. They did it. They were a per- they had a perfect season, uh, another outstanding season in college football. Yep. But uh, don't take away from what TCU did this year and uh, how they. They deserve to be there at the national championship game. Oh, you're right about that. You're absolutely uh, right about that. So they were terrific. Ah, just incredible. Um, and, you know, they, they got by Ohio. I was trying to think, do you think Ohio State-TCU would have been a pretty good football game given the Michigan-TCU game, or do you think Ohio mm. State would have had the same success? I, you know, I just I put a lot of stock in C.J. Stroud myself. That's just me personally. So I, I would say that you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah. Um, it's revisionist history by thinking Ohio State and Georgia's the national championship. But I, I probably think that I'd give the nod to Ohio State. But you know what, Georgia just looked so much physically bigger than TCU last night. Wasn't that amazing when you looked at the eye test and said, my goodness, these guys just look like men among boys out there on the football field. Yeah, they're NFL players. And it's like freshman guys who we're going to be seeing in uh, two two years from now being taken in the top 10 of the NFL draft. It's sophomores who are already projected to go uh, day one of next year's NFL draft. And we're watching uh, NFL talent across the board for Georgia. That's, that's the factory that they've built under Kirby Smart. It's the factory of talent that they continue to um, you know hold under that program and it's very impressive I mean Georgia yeah. has gotten to the top of college football alongside Alabama alongside Ohio State and Clemson you're right about that you're absolutely right hey uh, meanwhile we've talked about UTEP we talked about the Wednesday game against New Mexico State along with the rest of their 2023 schedule by the way good job uh, good heads up by Jorge Villalobos letting us know that former Texas A&M and Auburn quarterback Zach Calzada plans to transfer to Incarnate Word. Here's a guy that threw for 17 touchdowns at A&M in 10 starts uh, back in 21. Big move for Incarnate Word. I'm sure Zach Calzada, who was out at Auburn before uh, or after A&M, I'm willing to bet that cost uh, that that cost a few uh, you know a few NIL dollars to get him. There's no doubt about that. So. You know, the one thing we'll say about UTEP is this, and I've been saying this now for a couple of years. Dana Dimmel will live with, um, you know, Gavin Hardison, and he'll, um, and he'll die with Gavin Hardison. I mean, that's just the way it is. So if Gavin, and I said this at the start of the 2022 season, my biggest key to this football team was their quarterback. I still feel like that's the biggest key to their football season. And Gavin didn't improve enough for them to take that jump. He didn't. He has to. He has to. Because otherwise, you know, if Dana Dimmel um, comes up short again this year, 
Who knows what's going to happen in, in 2024? And when you watch around you and you see all these other teams in your league getting former uh, Power 5 high-profile quarterbacks to transfer over, you wonder, Adrian, you know, again, do you, I guess it all comes down to your to your quarterback. And I saw this tweet from Zay a few weeks ago. He still believes in Gavin Hardison. But the key is Gavin Hardison has to believe in himself because if he's going to be handed the keys to the car for the third year in a row and he can't take that jump, well, then we could see changes across the board uh, coming up uh, you know, after next season. And it's so interesting, right, because uh, in certain games this year when you saw what you kind of liked from Gavin Hardison, at times people question then the play calling. So if it's not Hardison's uh, you know, play on the field, some people also question, well, what's the position that he's being put in? And what, what are the plays that are actually called? And, you know, if you had Gavin Hardison throw for just 20 to 30 times versus 35 to 45 times a game, how much better would he be as a quarterback when he's uh, you know asked to be more efficient as a passer? And I, I think that's probably the recipe to success for Hardison. Uh, surround him with a run-first offense and still let him throw, but don't let him throw over 35 pass attempts in a single game. Meanwhile, you look at the schedule today, and Adrian wrote about this on the website, 600ESPNElPaso.com. First thing that jumps out at you is they play three of the first four games on the road. They have to open up at Jacksonville State. That's Jacksonville State's first FBS game uh, against UTEP, hosting them. Then the Miners get a good Incarnate Ward team that's making the transfer over to D1 um, FBS with the aforementioned Zach Calzada at quarterback. Then they go on the road to Northwestern in Arizona. I mean, best case scenario for the first four games. Best case scenario for the first four games. Two and two. Yeah, that's probably right. It, however, it shakes out whether you lose on the road in the first game, and maybe you take a win, you steal a win on the road against a Power Five team. That'd be great. Maybe that'd be or, great. Or like me, people would probably think you win your first two games at Jacksonville State at home against Incarnate Word, and then lose the next two to the Power Five schools. I could see that too. I could see that you beat the newcomers, you lose to the P Fives, and then you have UNLV at two and two. You'll host them. In front of 15,000 fans. It's the reality of the situation. Yeah, and that's probably going to be the marquee game, unfortunately, for UTEP's home yep. schedule. I, they're going to have to sell that one big. Here, I, I've got some free advice right now for UTEP. All oh, right, I, you love, ready? I love free advice. So free advice. Last weekend of, of September, uh, you've got a, a client of yours that loves to spend money and also is a casino. Uh, you know, they, they operate as a casino here in the city of El Paso. They give cash away at games, do a little Speaking Rock UNLV Saturday celebration, something Vegas like night? that. Vegas night. It's Vegas night at the Sun Bowl. Roll it out. You you know you have uh you have the uh, uh fake blackjack tables all around the concourse. You let people play uh you know and have fun, funny money out and out and about. Vegas night for UTEP football. I you know what? Maybe that's what they do. Uh, the problem is that some people might really get involved in the uh, in in the the tables. They might not want to go and watch the game. They might stay out there at the tables. Yeah, they'll play for some funny money. Maybe they could play for some uh, prizes, raffles, and stuff like that. Never know. You know, Speaking Rock could really capitalize on that one. I'm with you. And then they've got La Tech six days later on a Friday before uh, their first buy. And and again, just like last year, their first buy doesn't come until October the fifth. They got to play six games. It's too bad the bye didn't come after Arizona. 
That's when they needed it. They needed that bye after the first four games, including back-to-back P5s, just to get themselves reset. They're not going to get a bye to La Tech. The schedule did not do UTEP any favors. No, none whatsoever. And what we learned from this past year, uh, playing consecutive weeks before a bye week uh, is not good for UTEP football. This year they started off uh, and they struggled uh, without that bye week that they that they kind of relied on it at points, you know, throughout this year. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, you know, you lose to uh, North Texas, you lose to Oklahoma this past year and to New Mexico in your early part of the season without a bye week. That's tough right there. It's a long stretch with no uh, bye week. It is. You want to talk about it, 505. Six zero zero nine. That's our telephone number as we continue here on the program. You know what I have for you right now? I have another uh, Brian Bird success story. Just got these in. Just 32 now past the hour as we continue here on the program. So uh, Vince McMahon is back as chairman of the board. His daughter, Stephanie, has resigned. So uh, once again, she penned a very nice uh, you know, farewell letter talking about how great the company is in the hands of uh, her dad and her husband. But you can tell this is, uh, you know, once this happened with all of the allegations around Vince and all the things she's been fighting for involving uh, female wrestling getting their, uh, getting their say, you can't stay on. You can't stay on. You got you to gotta be out. So that's just, uh, you know, I applaud her for doing it. And uh, now I'm going to be really interested to see what the old man has cooked up for the WWE since uh, he's been gone for the last seven months. And all they did was rehire all the people they've laid off. And now we'll see what happens. And could AEW and our pal Tony Khan, who joined us uh, last hour, be the one to, to benefit from this? That's very true. Maybe uh, AEW and all the other independent wrestling organizations are the benefit. Uh, the I-, I guess they will definitely stand to benefit the most after all this fallout, all this turmoil, and you wonder uh, how and if all the audience for WWE will shift over to all the others. Let's talk Carlos Correa for a second. Um, number one, what this does is uh, keeps him from going to the Mets, where he was going to play uh, third base because they've already got Francisco Lindor at short. It keeps him at shortstop with Minnesota. Um, instead of $310 million, $330 million with the Giants and Mets offered, he gets $200 million over six years. And you know he'll stay at uh, short. And you know what? Good for Minnesota. Good for the Twins. I mean, they wanted him. They offered him, I think, 285 before all these medicals came out, and he turned it down not knowing what would happen in his free agency. But I love the fact that the Twins, a small market team, are keeping a guy like Carlos Correa on board. They need him. And now he's got uh, still a great contract. You can't complain about $200 million over six years. And if he continues to rake and that, uh, you know, and that leg shows no ill effects from that injury he had, I think when he was 18 in rookie ball, uh, it'll be a bargain. So my biggest question to you, Steve, is, uh, you know, for the Twins, an organization that does not spend a lot of money on players, I, I feel like, what, Byron Buxton's the most expensive a player they- they've actually spent on in-, in the past three years, right? Yeah, they've never they've never spent anywhere close to this kind of money. So uh, when you have somebody like this, like Carlos Correa, is this more to sell jerseys or more to actually build something? If you look at him with Minnesota, he was good. He was right, really good. Yeah. So good I season. think I don't think it's to sell jerseys. I think they they realize you have to spend to compete. That's just uh, that that's just what it is. The fact that you know he had a 
you know, three hundred plus million dollar deal twice, and it both went down because of physicals. It worked out to uh, you know Minnesota's advantage. It really did. But when you look at the Twins right now, especially uh, on paper, um, and you look at this team, you know they have um, an outfield that has a lot of questions, including Buxton because he's always hurt. They brought in Joey Gallo. Um, they've got a young third baseman in Jose Miranda. Um, they have a, a young first baseman who has not achieved his potential yet, and now Alex Kirilov. As far as rotation goes, Sonny Gray leads it. But then you got a bunch of guys like Joe Ryan, Tyler Molly, Bailey Ober, and Kenta Maeda. I mean, all the more reason to bring Carlos Correa on board, right? You need a, a vet. You need somebody that will put butts in the seats. Yeah, and and again, it goes back to the jerseys selling, but they actually might compete. So I, that, that's good for Minnesota if they can get Carlos Correa healthy and uh, no more red flags come up when these this physical and you know everything around his health continues. Joe Maurer was, I think, the previous long like record deal was like 180 million. Oh, okay. So oh. They broke that one, this one. That's uh, like uh, all the way back, what, 2011, 2012? Yeah, isn't, isn't that crazy how long yeah. that goes back? It's it's nuts. I think Buxton's making like $100 million. But again, it's hard to pay Byron Buxton because he's always on the IL. Always wow. on the IL. That makes sense. Here's Enrique joining us next on the phone lines. The Sports Talk continues. What's up, Enrique? Hey, uh, Cap. Well, thank you uh, for taking the call. I, I, I was hearing you talking about wrestling. Yes. I I didn't take you for a wrestling fan. Oh, a huge wrestling fan, Enrique. Go back to the go back to the eighties with world class championship wrestling, the WWE, then known as the F, WWF, uh, NWA, AWA. Absolutely. That's cool. That's a different side of you. That's awesome. Um, I want to take your take on this. Um, I was kind of sad to hear about Vinnie Mac coming back to the company. Me too. I get it. It's his baby, but Triple H was making a bunch of head headway. All yeah. of us is really just the company knows what we, the watchers, want now. Gone are the days of the big buff wrestlers, you know, like the old Hulk Hogan, the Rock, you know. Sure. Like gone are those days. Now it's the, the Adam Cole, you know, the, the fast, the technical wrestling, the Shinsuke Nakamura's, right. the Sami Zayn. 80s, 80s style wrestling. That's why the AW, the AEW is so popular, and they're coming to El Paso on the 8th of February. We had Tony Khan on the show last hour, Enrique, uh, talking about oh. that. But I'm with you. I am absolutely with you on that one. I'm, I'm so interested to see if Vince just lets uh, Triple H do what he's been doing or if he immediately goes back to layoffs. Because think about it. I mean, if that happens, uh, fans are going to turn on them quicker than they have uh, in a long time. Fans are, fans are already turning, Cap. I, I, I don't it. know if you watched this, uh, this group on YouTube, but take a look. It's called WrestleTalk. They do all that stuff all the time. He's, he's going to go right back to the way it was. They're already yeah. projecting it. He's going to go right back to, to the layoffs, lay off the people that just got rehired. In fact, he's going he's gonna, to. there's a lot of headway, but he's going to sell the company. That's the rumor. And there's already a couple of uh, bidders. You know, there's yep. Universal, yep. there's uh, Disney, and they're even talking about the, the selling the company over to the Saudis. Oh, my God. And yeah. I'm thinking that's, that's more where they're going to lean off to is sell it to the Saudis. I think that uh, Stephanie McMahon hinted towards that area because uh, the Saudis don't want women. In, I, well, I want to be sensitive on that subject topic. You know, I understand there's a lot of cultural indifferences, but due to their cultural insight, they'd rather have uh, uh, their 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 uh, morality instead as far as uh, 
they're their they're employees. Now, all I can tell you is these next couple of months will be very interesting. I'm with you on that one. I'm not happy at all about today's news. And I commend Stephanie for resigning because she fought for what she believes in, and she knew that as soon as her dad came back and made all these allegations, everything she fought for for, uh, for female wrestling uh, goes completely down the toilet if, uh, if he's back and oh, she's yeah. there. Oh, yeah. She did a great job. I, I love the stuff that she did with the women's division. She brought a lot of people into the company. Uh, she made Charlotte who she is, Becky Becky Lynch who she is. Uh, just made a lot of good household names that you weren't having in the males division. And she brought the insight to the women's division. She actually made the women's division the division to watch. Enrique, do you go back to the days when we used to air slamming it with the monster Mondo Medina and Scott Ronson? <laughs> yes, I do. I, oh, I love it. That. I oh, love that it. Oh, I miss I miss uh, Scott so much and Monster. That was his baby, and and did such a great job with it. And yes, a long, long time ago, Adrian, uh, when when you were in your infancy, we ran a weekly pro wrestling show that was huge on this radio station. You know, it's so interesting because we will still have people come up to us and tell us how much of a fan they were of the show that that yeah, happened here every single Saturday, slamming it. Yep. Uh, with Mondo, the Monster Medina, and Scott, and 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 all the different uh, co-anchors that he had, he had Robert Garcia on at one point, right? I mean, oh yeah, yeah there was popular. a it was it was a large group. Paul Torres was on that show, a very good. But Mondo was the constant. Mondo was there from start to finish, and uh, yeah, we had a lot of good times, a lot of fun times in those days. Enrique, appreciate you taking me back down memory lane. Great job, thanks for the call. Thank you. You too. All right, when we come back. John Teicher live at Hudson's Grill. Oh, I can't wait to ask John his opinion of the football schedule for 2023 and hear what he has to say. Um, and, and I hope he doesn't hold back. I really, really hope he just unleashes uh, on, on everybody the way I did earlier. Anyway, uh, we've got uh, the Utah basketball with Kevin Baker and Joe Golding at Hudson's Grill coming up 6 o'clock right here. 600 ESPN El Paso.